Welcome to the Circle of Birth podcast. I'm your host and advocate, Ali Kranz. These podcasts are here to gather stories, people and information to better our understanding of the wisdom of birth and how we can reclaim our connections to birth from conception and beyond. You will hear stories not only from Australia but from all over the world, bringing together women, partners, midwives, doulas and all the people that have a birth story to share. So jump right in for this next Circle of Birth story. Welcome to the Circle of Birth, uh, episode 31, and welcome to my croaky voice. I lost it somewhere and I'm trying to find it. (laughs) So thank you for joining us. I'm very honoured to release this episode, part one of part two, with um, Robin Grill. Uh, This is our second podcast with a male, a father and a birth partner. And to boot, he's an author of two publications, Heart to Heart Parenting, Parenting for a Peaceful World. He's a psychologist and a parenting educator. So be sure to stay tuned for part two next week. And so Robin, in his life, he thought he was pretty aligned with the world and how things were working. And as he describes, until he became a father, he says, seeing your baby's head crowning, hearing that first sound from your baby's lungs, the power, beauty and vulnerability of that moment, just reaches through your rib cages into your heart and takes it out. And that's where the conversation leads. We talk human history and birth, fathers with birth trauma of their own imprints, supporting fathers, supporting males, men, elders, and right down to his first experience of a birth, walking into his friend's house completely unaware that there was a baby boy in the room that night. This conversation will really, really have you engrossed into the depth of our human psyche around birth and the human body. It just leads into all sorts of beautiful places and we did end up talking for two hours. So uh, enjoy part one and stay tuned for part two. All right. Hi, Robin. Thank you so much. I am completely honoured that you have joined us for the Circle of Birth podcast. I really am waiting to hear your story and you are the author of the book I have in my hand and some others. Um, But the one I have in my hand that I'm getting into is called Heart to Heart Parenting. So our conversation will hopefully get into parenting and but you're here to share your personal journey, which I really appreciate. Thank you, Ali. It's really great to um, to be here with you. Thanks for the opportunity. That's okay. So, how do you feel about just starting off and becoming a bit of a storyteller for us and just telling us how you became into your birth journey um, as a dad and then maybe branch into the work that you're doing and we'll go from there. Well, I... I um I'm just thinking right now that it's such a – there's so many entry points into that story. So it would uh, – where, where do you think we should start in from, Ali? Where, where um, In terms of what you're curious about and what you feel like your listeners would be most curious about, where where's the entry point? Uh, okay. So how about the entry point of being just Robin and then entering into what life is going to be for you as a father and how that worked and then – I'd love to sort of hear about the the birth journey too, in particular the labour and how that went and then the feeling of um, becoming dad and what that means for you. 
Okay. Well, um, I, I should tell you my daughter is, is uh, about to turn 19. Her birthday is next month. So we're really going back in time here. We, we have to get in a time capsule okay. and, uh, Let's go. <laughs> and, and fly back. And uh, um, it, it hasn't stopped being hard to believe, by the way, that, that this tiny little baby – that we both once held in our hands is now a 19-year-old person, you know, traveling around the world and and doing the things that she does. It's an incomprehensible kind of an experience. And, and um, gee, it's, it makes me feel so much closer to every other parent um, to, to, to feel that, to look into that mystery and, and to be absolutely wowed um, and, to, and to wonder, how did that happen? How did we get from little baby to this. Mm. Uh, so, so uh, you know, I guess the first feeling for me is, is just the awe and the magnificence of it all and, and, and just what a massive challenge the whole journey has been as a father. Are, and, you, uh, yeah. are you finding the ability to tap into that when you serve uh, families in your line of work? Um, yeah, all the time, mm. all the time because um, – in case you didn't cover this earlier, I, I'm a psychologist. So as well as being a writer um, of parenting books, <clears throat> I'm a parent educator and I do a lot of workshops around Australia, um, overseas as well, a number of different countries, um, mostly for parents and for people that work with families and children, professionals. Um, and uh, I'm a, I have a private practice. I'm a psychologist in private practice and most of my work is kind of family relationships work. Um, I don't work with little kids, but I work with the parents. And um, of course, that experience as a dad really changes my voice. It changes the way that I listen to parents. It changes, um, I think it's kind of grown my acceptance of what parents bring to me. Because it is quite a it, it, it's um, it's a fiery and intense and worrisome and difficult and exhilarating and chaotic sometimes journey, and um, it's you know I, I feel grateful in a way, and I don't want to be glib about that because you know sometimes it's not easy, but I feel grateful for the fact that uh, the presence of my daughter has really. Um, in some ways really challenged me beyond what I thought was possible and, uh, you know, pulled me apart and undone me like an old pair of shoelaces. <laughs> you know, when, when you, you feel some, you know, often you feel out of control and vulnerable and worried and, you know, one of the things that happens to us a lot as parents is that we, so many parents make a vow that I'm not going to sound like my dad did. I'm not going to sound like my mum did. And then when we, when you know the, the the journey of parenting pushes those buttons really big, we sound exactly like our parents. Well, I think that when we're under a great deal of stress, um, and we're trying to juggle you know three things with two hands, um, we, we we tend to fall back onto our automatic selves, which is right out of the 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 playbook and the script of our own childhood and our own parents, and and uh, you know that happens to most people and. I, I think that parenting has humbled me increasingly and continues to do so more and more and more. It kind of makes judgment of other people extremely difficult. Mm. It's hard to be judgmental when, when it's so clear that I'm in the same boat 
And guess what? The boat is rocking and it has a leak, mm. right? So uh, we're, we're all in it together. And I, I kind of love that. You know, I love this kind of shared humanity of it all. And, you know, I really think that parenting, um, having a child in your hands uh, is, a, is probably the greatest equalizer. It really is. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll just say that. I think it is one of the – it's the greatest equalizer. You know, it's what makes us all the same across the world. Even though we're all different and our children are different, at the core of it, we have the same struggles and the same yearnings. And when I take my workshops overseas and I, uh, or, or I speak to migrant groups in Australia, uh, even through an interpreter, and, you know, I meet many different cultures, we're also different on the surface. But when it comes down to the really core basic stuff around our kids, we're so the same. We, we sew the same. Yeah. The blood, froze, blood flows red for absolutely everybody. Mm. Um, it just that, that kind of sameness and shared humanity feel, gets so real for me when it comes to uh, family and children um, uh, at its most basic uh, level. So, um, so yeah. back when your daughter was about to be born, were you studying yeah. as a psychologist or were you a psych- practicing psychologist at that point? And I had started um, not too long before that and I, I still I hadn't stopped studying because I wanted to keep upgrading and upgrading and upgrading everything I was learning. And, and, but, you know, the study of psychology did not help me as a dad anywhere near as much as having my own therapy, I can tell you that that made 90% of the difference to subject myself to as much of my own personal growth journey, sometimes through one-on-one therapy, sometimes a group kind of work, um, and to look deeply into my own story um, as a child and as a baby, my own birth story, not just to look into it, but to feel into that uh, body memory a little bit, mm. okay, of having been born. And all of those things help more than absolutely anything else. Any book that I read or any study that I did at university. Um, and I had done um, with a, <clears throat> a bunch of different therapies, I, I actually re-experienced some of the feeling of being born myself. Long before, long before I ever thought I was ready to have a child. Could you identify, like, how, how did you even identify that that's what those feelings were? Or is it just because that you were pulling up, intentionally pulling out, that out and that you could start to piece that together? Well, in, in the late 80s and early 90s when I was doing some of that kind of work for me, as for my own personal growth journey, there was... In Sydney, there was quite an abundance of the whole rebirthing movement, for better or for worse. Some of it was really good quality. Some of it was, you know, not so good quality. But nevertheless, there was there was a like a really strong, really quite quite large subculture of people that were exploring that, and there was therapists from all over the world that were bringing their work to to Australia. And um, I. I really delved into that. Um, you know, we all carry kind of issues, I, I suppose, from our childhood, adolescence, 
toddlerhood, primary school, etc. But some of the deepest wounds that we carry are from our time in the womb and, and, um, and our experience of childbirth ourselves when we were babies. You know, our first moment in the outside world, our first moment of physical separation from, from our mothers is, is so important and so um, such a powerful imprint. Our first smelling of the world um, and, um, you know, some of the fears that we carry or as well some of the love that we carry um, harks back to that time and um, it, that became quite clear to me when I was doing um, those kinds of therapies and um, long before I went into a deep study of it and it was powerful. I don't regret a moment of it. It was, it was really, really powerful. Um, I mean, for me, when, when I say that birth is important because of the impact that it has, um, I don't say that merely from some academic, academic standpoint. For me, looking at the research, um, and there's a lot of research into that area now, there's a lot of research. Um, and there's, there's actually a website where it's all collected you know, from, from professional peer-reviewed journals where, where scientists look at um, you know, relationships, correlations between your birth experience and, and some of the things that, you know, the ways that you function in your life, um, mental health issues, um, uh, health issues, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, you know, that's, that came a little bit later. So I looked at that research a lot later. I began from the direct experience through the therapies that I was having. And um, it really brought home to me just how much of the, you know, insecurities I had, the, um, you know, some of these basic, deep, pre-verbal fears about being alive on this planet. How much of that was really dated back to the experience of being born and and the, um, the you know the time of being an infant the the perinatal time straight after being born um, and I did um, I mean it was it took me years much later I discovered through my reading how uh, even though our heads don't remember what happened from usually from before two or three years of age our bodies remember everything. It's called implicit memory. They even now brain scientists have discovered where that's stored in the brain. So our, our bodies remember, even if we don't rem remember what happened, we remember how it felt, okay? So through, there's a range of different body therapies or hypnotic kind of therapies that enable you to tap into that experience a little bit. And I, I, I did remember on a number of occasions aspects of how it felt to be born. And it was very, very powerful. I remember the terror and the panic. I also remember the ecstasy. It was um, quite literally an ecstatic, deeply ecstatic experience once I got out. Yeah. So did you sit down with your birth mother and – do this at the same time? 
No, I um, no, I was hesitant to talk directly to my mother, but um, uh, about this, she, I mean, she had lots of kind of guilt issues, and mm. you know that would have made it very, very difficult. I tried to talk to her a little bit. I mean, this is going back decades now. Um, she told me some aspects of what it was like to give birth. I was born in Uruguay in South America, and um, uh, you know the medical world had an absolute stranglehold on childbirth. It was absolutely, you know, they'd convinced everybody that pregnancy is a kind of an illness, mm. and uh, it's a, it's a state of emergency, and you should be terrified. Mm. And you know, you you must go to a hospital and. And have all kinds of things injected into you, no matter what, whether you like it or not. Um, and uh, there was a sense of uh, widely, it's like a social trance that everybody believes because the experts are saying it. And if somebody has a white coat and speaks with a deep voice, you're you're entranced by that image and you just believe them. And you, so you know, there was that com- you know, general cultural induced state of terror, of shared collective terror about giving birth. Now, little wonder it was a traumatic experience for almost all mothers and fathers. I remember my father telling me that when my brother was born, um, he was extremely anxious and he was, you know, the old kind of – uh, stereotype of the father pacing up and down, smoking, you know, when they used to let men smoke in, a, in the hospital. In the smoking room, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> which is a funny thing because my father didn't smoke. But, but, but he, was, he was terrified and he heard through the door of the, of the birthing torture chamber the screams of my mother when they did the episiotomy without anesthetic. The, the blood-curdling scream, and when the when the obstetrician came out, my father absolutely freaked out, and he picked him up by the scruff of the neck and lifted him off the ground, shoved him up against the wall, and and uh, screamed at him, "What what did you do to my wife?" And of course, the obstetrician said, "Sir, you have a beautiful baby boy." Um. So relax. Of course, you can't see him because he will be immediately inserted into a plastic box and put in a in a room with a viewing window next to you know a whole bunch of other babies in rows. Hopefully, we get you know we put the right name tag on the right one, and that's how it went. And um, for that's how my brother was born. That's how I was born. In similar circumstances in South America and. I have a fairly good authority that it wasn't too different in most parts of the world. You know, the that state of emergency, hyper-pharmaceuticalization of a natural process and a beautiful process that has dominated most of this, uh, most of humanity for a century, and it is for me that feels like a planetary uh, tragedy. Mm. Um, terror that is unwarranted and unnecessary. Yeah. It's really interesting telling you before when I was talking to Elena uh, Tonetti and her yep. story of her own birth in Russia, probably around the same era, the babies got taken away for five days as soon as they were born, um, you know, born on metal 
like slabs of beds and yes. all this sort of similar thing. And I remember asking her why and she said because that's just the way they did it. And it seems like it was just a worldwide collective of this medicalised fear and now we're at the filtration process, aren't we, where it's, um, it's, it's sort of like some kind of capillary action that it's just stretched across the world but now we're trying to feed it all back in again. It's, well, a, it's I, a big job yeah. for humanity to I think it is, it is a massive – it's a case of self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, I mean, on the one hand – there's always going to be a small percentage of, um, you know, women, you know, mothers giving birth where there is a complication that genuinely warrants some kind of medical intervention. There's always going to be that percentage. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that childbirth was always 150% uh, perfect. Um, you know, there, there was... Um, maternal and infant death, even in the most utterly natural tribal societies, there was a small percentage of uh, families that that did happen for, where the mother and the baby died. So, you know, there is a case for interventionism when it's really warranted. But that's a really tiny percentage. So the vast majority of interventionism is actually a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, it's an industry. It's a multi-billion-dollar industry that has seized uh, what should be what should belong to women. It seized it by the throat. Mm. And one of the things that I've understood, you know, really, I'm I'm very angry when I talk about this, Ali. I'm very angry about it and really, really upset about it because there's no good reason for it. Um, the, when a, when a, a mother is subjected to daily, you know, repetitions of the idea that childbirth is going to be traumatic and insurmountably, uh, excruciatingly painful, it's extremely unlikely for that not to be hypnotic. Because we get those messages as fathers and mothers um, regularly on a daily basis. And you you can look at any – at random, any movie and television series or whatever, any story about childbirth and in the regular culture, and you're going to see somebody writhing uh, who, for all intents and purposes, looks like they're undergoing some kind of horrible and hideous torture. Um, th- through the mere fact of the fact that a child is being born, doesn't need to be that way. But when that message is given to uh, mothers and fathers over and over and over again, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because the human body expects a perilous situation, and you know that has an impact at the deepest, most visceral musculoskeletal level. Uh, it, it, it's hormonally different. When we're expecting a situation of fear and danger, you're different hormonally. There's more cortisol in the mix, etc. So that that actually mitigates against the spontaneous, rhythmic and healthy contractions. And in my practice, see what's essential in childbirth is 
you know, a, a, a huge sensation of emotional safety. Mums and dads need to be surrounded by few people whom they have grown to trust deeply. And you can't trust somebody after a few sessions of meeting them in an office. That's where doulas are the, you know, the greatest, I think, invention of modern times. Um, they're not that modern, are they? They used to be doulas, mm. but we've got, a, we've got a, 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 new, a new word for it, it seems, and it's yeah. become a profession. And um, later on, ask me please about I, I think that we need uh, doulas for, for the fathers as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's a, that's one yeah. of the main sort of parts of a doula too is to support the support person. If the well, father I'd, wants I'd, to be at the birth, then… I'd like one of each. I would like one of each, one yeah. especially for, for the dad and I'll, I'll tell you why later. But I see this in my practice all of the time. I just totally lost count of the number of mothers that you know are speaking to me in my, in my consulting room about their childbirth experience and… So many of them say, well, the contractions were coming along really naturally and really well. The moment that the obstetrician arrives in the room, bam, the contractions stop. Yeah. You know, because of the physical presence, presence of the obstetrician. Mm. That's how deep, you know, that's how trust affects the body or lack of trust also mm. affects the functioning of the body. I was um, reading some old um, clippings like you know, I, I can't even think of the era would have been eight, late 1800s when obstetrics came through. Was is that about yeah. right? Yeah, and there was descriptions. Early 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 1900s is when um, when somebody wrote a book. I can't remember his name right now, but somebody wrote a book about, uh, that was the kind of the Kickstarter of modern obstetrics. obstetrics yeah. And and in that in that book in that book he said, look, childbirth is a state of emergency. It should always be intervened uh, by medical doctors. Yeah. And it all took off off from there. It was the best thing that happened to the industry. Yeah. And that's when they started, I don't really want to talk about it, but they started pulling apart women and, you know, quite taking them apart while pulling babies out and things like horrible things that they were doing. And I remember reading a clipping about um, they going to the houses, the birthing mother... And yep. as soon as they walk in, they'd literally see the baby coming out and being sucked straight back in and the lady would just stop <laughs> completely. And um, I mean, they were journaling this then, <laughs> but still having that huge control that they're not looking at it as like there's something in my presence that's causing this. It's more like, okay, then um, what instruments or what technology can we use to create this even more into us something that i can control well yeah and when that's right something that that male doctors can control Control. and i you know i just i think there are some pretty good male obstetricians around that are incredibly sensitive and really really love the, the the women that they work with and somehow they're naturals i don't think they're in the majority because i think fundamentally um that it would have to be something a little bit miraculous about you to be able to help a woman give birth when you're never going to give birth yourself. Mm. And there's something so um, um, mysterious that only women can understand and only women can understand it from the inside. Um, As a man, I am utterly prepared to say that's not my province. 
That belongs to women. I know nothing there, not really, very little. Um, and uh, and I really, really felt that at the because you know, I was there for the birth of my daughter. I really, I went quite. Um, I went very quiet. Um, uh, it was an <laughs> in, intensely humbling experience because I, I sat and I just I really felt how much wow this is not um, this is so beyond me. And what I saw the women doing, you know the the, the midwives, everybody, it was. Um, it left me speechless and everybody there seemed to – everybody seemed to kind of know intuitively something that would be forever completely out of my ken. Now, that's amazing. To me, that's the experience of awe. I don't know this from the inside. I will never know this from the inside and that's okay. That's how it should be and, you know, wow. Wow. Oh, my God and wow. <laughs> just just be on hand and, and – and, um, you know, it's a really kind of – for me, that was a, a very powerful experience of dynamic passivity in that I make no suggestions here, I, but I'm available for what is asked of me. And, you know, and I felt very included and I felt very self – you know, like I included myself in the whole experience. Um, I, I also wanted to share with you, Ali, that, that it was personally quite healing to, to witness the birth of my daughter because, you know, a lot of the programming uh, really came back. I was frightened. I was, I was very frightened. I thought, oh, my God, this is where everything goes wrong. Uh, and to be fair, sometimes things do go wrong. And, you know, I, I, I can say that I feel fortunate that in my family, you know, it wasn't our turn for for um, for there to be, you know, natural kind of complications. My daughter was born without complication. Uh, that doesn't mean it wasn't an incredibly demanding and intense experience. But did you find those feelings heightened the more intense the labour? Yeah. 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 There was times when I felt numb because I, because the fear, you know, the old program just really came rushing back. Yeah. And did all the work that you did prior to that, did that help? Did you yes, it did. Yes, that? it yeah. did. I'm very proud. I didn't pass out, did I? Yeah. <laughs> if anyone needed, you know, help me with this, I was, I was, I was totally physically available. And, you know, I was, I was there present enough to be able to know when I was – I could feel the fear coming up. I, I understood my own kind of, um, you know, numbness as it came and went and – that was okay, you know. It was really, really okay. I think if I hadn't gone through that therapy, I, I, it would have been harder for me. But um, there's a lot of things that really, really helped. It's the same as for me, for me being in an airplane when there's really, really, really uh, uh, powerful turbulence. And I discovered when when the turbulence really starts throwing a plane around, uh, and I'm and I start to think, oh, was this okay? Can the plane take it? If I look at the eyes of the um, cabin crew and they got that totally kind of matter-of-fact casual look, they might be sitting there filing their nails and waiting, waiting to be able to walk about the cabin again. You know, that look of casualness really settles me straight away. That's exactly what I had a traumatic experience was in South America too on a small plane um, oh. and I've always had, a, I don't know, it's just, 
tapping tapping back in every time I'm in a plane and it hits turbulence, it, straight away I'll just go into panic until I, I, I watch the cabin crew all the time and their faces and um, – it's the same, yep. Yeah, the same thing. I know, and I know they're trained just to hang out and be casual, but just knowing that, looking at them and going, it's okay because they're okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I can see that. It'd be the same with the midwife as, you know, when you witness birth, uh, the midwife's face. Uh, I've seen people and especially yep. fathers look yep. directly at the midwife's face the whole time. <laughs> You're looking at them for for reassurance, reassurance yeah. and in you know they're not looking back at you because they're busy doing what they're doing. But um, you know, I, I looked at we had two midwives there. We were very fortunate. We had good people, and we looked at them, and they were looking like this is so utterly normal. I've been here a thousand times. It's just another day in the life of, and I found that deeply settling and uh, uh, quickly settling. Um, and, uh, my daughter was born in a lounge room mm. and um, uh, look, hang on, let me come back to the lounge room. I wanted okay. to say something else. Um, I think fathers get um, unfairly talked down because we are uncomfortable at childbirth. I want to say that that's very unfair because as if you wouldn't be uncomfortable at childbirth when so many dads, I think a large number, we've got our own kind of birth trauma that we survived. Add to that, it's not a very reassuring world. The whole world is telling you every day birth is an emergency. Birth is a medical emergency, you know. Um how do you think people, you know, men as well as women, how do you think we're all going to feel when we get that kind of bullshit bloody hammered into our heads as we grow up? And we, we don't, you know, birth is made secret. It's put in a bloody hospital. How the hell are you going to go in there and relax? Mm. So, you know, there is – this is a, a new story because – we went from um, having zero fathers attend the birth of their children to 90% in just a matter of years. Yeah, and how did that happen? <laughs> it, it happened. You know, it's a good thing. It's a really, really good thing. And when yeah. it goes well, it's it's just yeah. part of why that's good. There's so many reasons why it's good. It's beautiful. Yeah. It happens between mums and dads in, you know, the, the incredible love that happens. And yeah. You know, mind you, everybody is getting really, really, really high on on oxytocin. Yeah. You know, unless there are terrible things going on, then you're – and even the, the fathers get a huge hit of oxytocin. Yeah. Even though they're not directly physically engaged in the birth process. So, you go – you know, it must be understood that you tend to – you go – it's actually an altered state. It's not like normal life. It's an altered state. Mm. You're, it's a natural kind of a high. It's right. You, you're, um, it's an extremely intensified experience. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a deeply bonding experience for the mothers and the fathers. But then what happens, you talk to most fathers that watched their child be born and they get smitten. We get smitten. 
we get we have, we just fall to our knees and you're never the same person again and it, it, you know seeing the head of your baby crowning and 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 being there to hear the first sound that comes from your baby's mouth and lungs and the, the 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 power the beauty and the vulnerability of that moment you know it, it just reaches through your rib cage into your heart and takes it out wow and you're not going to be the same person again and you are the 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 you're flooded with commitment and loyalty for your partner for your baby you're helpless to that you're absolutely helpless to that you could have the the toughest hide and your hide is absolutely undone mm. uh, and even if you're not aware that that just happened to you it still happened to you anyway so could i just yeah. Flip to your work for a second and then I want to yeah. go back to the lounge. Yeah. Do you help uh, – actually, do you feel that a birth partner, particularly a male, with unresolved traumatic birth issues that are probably unbeknown to him can yeah. bring that into a birth space and affect the outcome? If not, do you mean negatively? Yes. Yeah, of course, of course, and that can happen. You can get a dad panicking in there. Yeah. Or you can get a dad, you know, passing out on the floor, and 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 then suddenly it becomes about him, and and uh, mm-hmm. I, I I worry that dad gets dads get blamed for that. So you know, we can't just expect dads to you know ninety percent of dads just suddenly from one generation to the next go in there. You can't expect that you attend a few birthing classes where you learn how to hold your your, your partner while she breathes. You know, they get thrown into the place. And for some dads, that goes extremely well. But if you're carrying a lot of your own birth trauma and if you haven't had a little bit of a healing and a supportive process around that, um, don't blame the dads when they when they come apart. Yeah. Trauma is trauma. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, I'm talking you right now, birth trauma is no different than than the trauma carried by a war veteran. Mm. Uh, well, actually, it's worse because as a baby, you're far more unable to, um, you know, you, you, there's no fight or flight as a baby when you know, as an inf- as a small baby being born, there's no fight or flight. So, in in, in one sense, it it conditions your nervous system more powerfully than war trauma. So this is not fun and games. You've got to take it seriously. So, And look, do you, in your work, uh, help a lot of couples before their birth journey? Yeah, and it's yeah. one of the things that I love to do. I wish yeah. I could I had more invitations to do that. I, I don't get enough. Um, people don't tend to go to see a psychologist preemptively. Mm. I wish they did. They tend to wait up until things are really, really awful, you know, after bad stuff has happened and then they come along. Then, you know, I wish everybody could work with a counselor of some kind preemptively before birth comes. Just to talk about your own birth story, your own feelings about your own mum and your own dad and to go into the depths of that 
the good, the bad, and the ugly, just to know your own truth. It is so empowering to know your own truth. I mean, you know, your emotional truth, the road that you have traveled. Yeah. It brings you into your body. You don't have to make it okay. You just need to kind of tell the truth in the presence of somebody that cares about you. And, and, and um, you know, that's empowering, right? Mm -hmm. And I just quickly want to say, Ali, that you don't necessarily have to go back and do what I did and remember your birth. And it doesn't have to be – there are different options available. Um. You don't have to necessarily, you know, I, it was useful for me, but there's other things to do. Even um, <clears throat> it would be very, very helpful for mum, for dads as well as for mums to, to, for instance, to watch a lot of imagery of normal childbirth and the beauty of it, the, actually the ecstasy of it. Um, movies like, have you heard of um, Orgasmic Birth? Yes. Put that in the references too, yeah. Yeah. By the way, that's not uh, uh, that, that. The name of that movie is not a metaphor. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's literal. Yeah. I've spoken to enough mothers who will tell me, look, the the, the experience of childbirth um, was orgasmic. It felt physically very very similar to an extremely powerful orgasm. Mm. You know, there was some pain involved as well, but it was also Right. Uh, that's that's it, it's awful how things like that are kept secret. Mm. In terms of what's possible, when both mums and dads are, when you give a mum and dad <clears throat> the work that they need to be able to be released from fear, because that's the fear of our ancestors, it's yeah. not ours. Yeah. And you can't just flick a switch and tell yourself, stop being frightened. That doesn't help. Mm. There's there's a little bit of a process and a bit of a journey that where you can naturally – you know when human beings stop being frightened? When you show them a good reason to expect wellness, or, you know, something concrete that they can trust. Mm. And then the world isn't frightening anymore, mm. okay? And we we need to do that for each other. Yeah. I, it's that I'm just kind of trying to feel into that and think of it like that intergenerational shame that we carry through, you know, our shame as a child and bring yep. that into our lives. And yep. I feel too, it's so complex. Um, we're just so crowded by choice and information, and it's so quick. Uh, and I feel something like I was just thinking of that orgasmic birth and the, that full letting go in that birth experience. Like I all out to people that can achieve that. I think that's uh, incredible um, because it's so it's just a sexual event and it's so close to the orgasm of a yep. woman when you know the the mm, yeah. and you know I mean they've even studied at the nitrogen explosion when the sperm hits the egg and all this sort of wonderful stuff. Mm -hmm. Yet I feel too like the label is so complex to carry through. Like going, I had an orgasmic birth means that you are so far into something else that um, you must be this type of person, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know if this is what you mean, Ali. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I have spoken to mothers that thought that they were crazy because no one had uh, – 
told them of, of that experience. No one had prepared them for it. And they thought that being that feeling that deep state of bliss meant that they were insane and they couldn't speak about it for years. Because mm. it, 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 is that because of our shame? Because we were growing up as kids, you know, private parts and this and that and um, not yes. to understand our body and honour it. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, you know, and the kind of it, – it's, it's shame of the body, shame of the genitals and the hips, but shame of the animalistic sounds – that your body wants to make and the animalistic kind of aggressive movements that your body uh, spontaneously wants to make, the involuntary uh, movements that that facilitate childbirth, right, without medical intervention of any kind, you know. Um, So, you know, centuries and centuries and centuries of um, an extremely toxic shame. I mean, a hatred of women. Um, and I, I've actually read a lot of anthropological studies into the story of um, um, the bashing of women's sexuality through the ages in most of the world's cultures, the big civilizations. Mm. Absolute loading of... of of, of, of the freedom and the capacity for women to be sexual and animalistic beings, you know, to, you know, we're all more than that, but, but that's, a, you know, for men and women, the animalism, uh, the sexuality, uh, it, it's, it's a fundamental aspect of our embodied life. Mm. And that has been butchered relentlessly by not just the church, even before the church, uh, the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans, um, the, the, the history of that is long and appalling. Um, and that's precisely I- implicated in what gets in the way of the naturalness of birth. When you, you, your body wants, you know, that you groan, that you roar, and, and, and that you move rhythmically in a way that your body wants to move. And lying down passively you know, for the convenience of the hospital staff is the perfect enemy of, of, of that process, mm. you know, with the legs up in the air, completely out of control, with the feet not grounded so that you can support your movement as it wants to happen, the rocking, right? Um. You know, I, I, I really fear for the future of humanity unless midwives can come back and and women, you know, seize control over childbirth again mm. for the sake of the entire species. It's, or I, I think in some ways we're doomed. It's a huge history, isn't it? Um, it's a huge when, you history s- of- when you see the size of it, it really... It really uh, gets you, you know. That, that's um, the way that birth is being done is probably one of the last bastions of misogyny, mm. Mm. and that doesn't just affect women; it affects all of us. Yeah. yeah. And um, I, I think part of what really brings that reality home is when you finally expose to what natural childbirth looks like. Um, 
the, the, the sheer beauty of it. And, and um, um, I always feel funny talking about childbirth as a man because it's not something that, you know, I'm not directly in it, am I? Yeah, but uh, I was just thinking of you, right? So say you back in 1799 and I was just thinking of the lounge room um, yeah. and you as a male then being able to witness the birth, your, the birth of your daughter and having – imagine if you and all the other males had that sense of awe and completely resonated with that feeling and carried that through into our history and what we are now, things would be so much different and it would just be beautiful. The, the I mean, this is a much longer story, but centrally the, the, uh, the patriarchal thing is, is actually a reaction to it's, – it's a symptom. It's a societal symptom. It's been a kind of reaction to extreme, extreme survival stress that epigenetically changed the behavior of societies over several generations and that um, heavily patriarchal societies are always a lot more violent. You know, it's a sliding scale. The more, that, the more patriarchal it is, the more violent it is. Yeah. So um, that's of, yeah. That's yeah. just an anthropological fact and yeah. an entirely verifiable fact. Um, and and it begins from um, gestation, childbirth, and uh, an early bonding. Um, it doesn't stop there, but it begins there. And you know the amount of science now. If you don't want to believe people's, you know, I guess therapy story, the, the amount of science that there is now. Um, pretty, pretty powerfully demonstrating a link between your childbirth experience and if there's no healing somewhere in your, along the line, um, all kinds of behavioral issues as well as health issues later in life. I mean, it's one of the most powerful formative, formative moments of life. It doesn't mean that things, you know, you could be somebody that had a very traumatic birth and then there's all kinds of healing that's available to you later. It doesn't mean that, you know, the book ends there. Jesus, you want prevention rather than cure. Yeah. If you could help it for your, for our own children and grandchildren, prevention rather than cure. Um, more than just prevention, it's not just about avoiding problems. But um, you know, I um, I recently spoke at a conference called Healthy Birth, Healthy Earth, in Scotland, and um, it's because people realize conferences of that nature is because people realize that we can really transform the way human society operates uh, most powerfully by transforming the way that we do childbirth collectively, which means looking after mothers in a completely different way, but also looking after fathers. And, um, you know, my, my if I had my, my wish list happen, I would like to see fathers um, also get – just go through – um, I mean, you'd, you'd need to, you know, want to do it, but to, at least to have this available that you go through like a counseling process where you get to talk through your feelings about the childbirth that is uh, coming and, and to have somebody you can trust to talk about your fears, your hopes, your dreams, a little bit about your own story and to be exposed as a, as a father to, you know, um, the truth really. Yeah. Of the naturalness of, 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 of this thing. Wouldn't that be great at your, say, your fifth midwife appointment and it's all about the father where the midwife just looks at him and goes, right, let's, let's see what we can do for you and um, 
and have that as part of the program, a counselling yes, session. Yes, I really, I really, I really think so. I think dads need to hear from the midwife because they are the they are the uh, flight crew that lets us know that the t- turbulence is fine. Yeah. We've yeah. been through it a million times. And I think additionally to that, it helps to hear from elder males um, of, of what it's like to be in that role. And, and that's and, another uh, story for us, isn't it? Yeah. Where are our elder males? <laughs> uh, well, well, you know, this is a generation where there's a large number of, of men that have, you know, done some intentional healing around their birth story. And where it's the first generation in a long time that men attended the birth of their children. So elders are coming into eldership, a, a generation of us. You know, what an asset, what a, what a treasure house. Um, so um, younger men that are about to have their first baby, you know, talk to us, talk to, hear from us, tell us, you know, your feelings, your excitement, your fears, if you have them, uh, you know, yeah. and ask, ask um, candid questions. If you think things are yucky, say so. Yeah. You know, bring, bring it all out. This is uh, it's exactly what childbirth is like. By the way, don't think for a moment that the only person being born is your baby. Yeah, that's a good point. Right? Yeah. Fathers are born, mothers are born. Yeah. In 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 that in those few hours. This is a great tip for doulas or midwives, actually. To I know in myself um, through my experiences to uh, when you're sitting with a couple to even get the father's own birth stories, or maybe he's got other children, um, and to really resonate with that and offer them. A chance to find an avenue for counselling or support. Yeah, yeah, for sure, it makes such a difference. Yeah. Um, and I did have all the friends that had been through it all, and that did help me just hearing their stories. Um, actually, just quickly, I'll tell you a funny story that um, when I was quite a bit younger, you know, years before my daughter was even an idea in, in our minds, uh, I accidentally walked in on my friend's birth. Of his daughter. How did you do that? Well, that bears explaining, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, he and I were playing music. We were a, a, a folky kind of um, duo, both sing and play guitar. And uh, we were busy. We used to get lots and lots and lots of gigs in pubs around Sydney. And I used to go to his place in, uh, in Coogee, or was it Clovelly, in the eastern suburbs in Sydney. I used to go there um, – uh, for practice, and he neglected to tell me that his wife went into labour, and I can't blame him for that. I mean, you know, things things are, uh, you know, quite intense, and there's other things to think about. So I happily rocked up as usual, guitar in hand, and a knock on the door, and there was no answer. So I just let myself in because he's, a, you know, he's a trusted friend. I just walked in, and suddenly there they were before me with the midwife. <laughs> You know, with, they had a um, uh, he, his his wife was in the birthing pool, uh, and their house was looking out over the ocean. This oh, little wow. wonderful, you know, rundown old apartment looking out over a cliff over the ocean, and uh, the dolphins came. There were dolphins jumping. Oh. You'd see them down down um, among the waves, the swells. 
And um, I was just dumbfounded. This is nothing like what I expected to walk in, and uh, there we are. And and uh, they both looked at me and said, uh, we forgot to tell you. <laughs> the baby's coming. Whoops. Um, look, it's okay if you stay for a little while, but then please don't stay too long and let yourself out. Right? We, we're going to back out the door. <laughs> I, I stood there feeling extremely foolish, but un- unable to move towards them or away from them and um, um, unable to speak. Just, just standing there like a lump, you know, holding my guitar case <laughs> in hand. And um, I was just so moved by the whole, just awed by the experience. I said goodbye to them. You know, of course, they were in their bubble of, you know, of focus. And um, I tiptoed out soon afterwards and I I sat in their lounge room upstairs um, quietly uh, for, for about half an hour because um, I was so um, deeply, deeply kind of um, grabbed by the power of the energy in that room. It's kind of like it's something so much larger than their usual life. Um, incredibly majestic. And w- without, I could tell that my brain couldn't understand or comprehend. It was, it was really very powerful and very peaceful. And then I let myself out. And their beautiful little girl was uh, breech-born, bum first, with no medical intervention at all. Cool. She's, I think now she's about 22 years old. Wow. She came out bum first. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my, my mate was having a laugh with me about how <laughs> because she came out bum first, her legs kept on just they, – they wouldn't fold downwards. You would bring her legs back down after she was born and they'd just bounce back oh, up. Really? Like they were spring-loaded. <laughs> um, but uh, she's just a, a, a gorgeous young woman. I think she must be maybe 24, yeah. 20, 25. Um, yeah. It's really interesting with the dolphins. I know, again, I'll bring in Alina into it when I was talking to her um, in yeah. Russia when she set up the birth camps and the dolphins flocked for each birth. Um, and she said over there, dolphins were just fish. Like they didn't really have any connection to them as being majestical creatures are just normal fish um but then they made these correlations with dolphins and women in labor and i'm wondering i'm wondering if the noises that women make maybe i'm just thinking of your friend's story there like resonate somehow the vibration or something must trigger them it's really interesting and it goes back to Ali, the, you know what we have done to childbirth is one of the greatest wounds to our capacity to feel the interconnectedness with other non-human, non-human beings, our, our essential interconnectedness with biological life mm. beyond humans. We, we have, I think, um, disability, a, a collective disability in that area, yeah. a neurological disability where we're blind to that and we build violent societies consumer, uh, desperate greed societies, exploitative societies as a result of living in this illusion that we're disconnected and separate from our uh, non-human family. 
So there's so much about interconnectedness and the and these subtle communication energies that are shared um, uh, across the species that we live stupidly as if that doesn't exist. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a it's a state of energetic um, retardation mm. and and birth. Collective uh, birth trauma has uh, quite a bit to do with that. Um, you know, we, you know, th- it's no accident that we tend to relate to the earth as our mother. And w- when we got ripped out of our mother most violently at our own childbirth, as if that's not going to have some kind of an impact. For, if not for everybody, but for a lot of people, in how we feel into our relatedness, our interdependency um, with the rest of biological life. Mm. So there's nothing, you know, hippie or there's, there's, there's no fairy tale involved in the fact, of course, dolphins came. Yeah. And the more science gets into those realms of understanding, very explainable um, communicational energies that you know, electromagnetic EMR, um, that 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 uh, and sounds that that have an impact across the species. Yeah. The more that science d- digs into those realms, the more it becomes like. Well, that's not that's not more bizarre than the fact that you and I are talking over Skype. Mm. Yeah. If we yeah, if we yeah. told somebody that from fifty years ago, you'd be probably put in an asylum. And it ends. Where are we going to go to from here? And there's another fifty minutes of just all of this goodness to come in part two. So please stay tuned. Did you connect with this episode? Then head over to our website, circleofbirth.com. There you'll find show notes, pictures, resources and potentially connect with today's storyteller. Don't forget to sign up to be updated with new empowering episodes and content. Help the show grow by contributing a tip in the jar to make sure we can continue to better the podcast and connect more and more to the wisdom of birth and each other. Hey, and don't forget the iTunes rating. This has been another episode of the Birth Share Project. We breathe, we birth, we empower. We empower.